Hello and welcome to Dr. Ken's Sermons and Studies. I'm Ken Broman, folks, and I'm glad you're here. Hope you find today's episode meaningful, spiritually challenging, and nourishing to feed your hunger. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he returned to the people with the Ten Commandments, the law of God, and the The message that God had given him on top of Mount Sinai was not just a verbal one. God did not just say to Moses, here, let me tell you the Ten Commandments, and then you go down the mountain and you tell them to the people there and have them tell the word by, spread the word by word of mouth to all the people of Israel and just keep telling it down through the ages down through the centuries. We've all played that game before, haven't we? Where you you whisper something to someone and they say it to someone else and, and by the time it gets to the end of the line, it doesn't sound anything like what it started out to be. If God had just told Moses to, to say the Ten Commandments, it's hard to imagine what they might have ended up by now. Now, God also did not have Moses write down the Ten Commandments Because God did not want any errors in transcription. We have many, many manuscripts of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and very few of them agree with each other because the people making the copies made mistakes when they were making the copies. And God wanted no mistakes when Moses was writing down what God was saying. So God himself wrote the Ten Commandments. And he didn't write it on on paper. He didn't take papyrus and and write the Ten Commandments on that because he didn't want it to be destroyed. He didn't want it to be torn or lost. Now, God wrote the Ten Commandments because he wanted them to be right. And he wrote them on stone so that they would not be destroyed. They would not be torn. And also... Because when your life's path and my life's path comes on a collision course with God's law, it is our lives that get broken, not the Ten Commandments. You ever notice what happens when flesh meets stone? Have you been walking outside barefoot? Maybe it's early in the morning and you decide to go out to get the newspaper and uh, and uh, rather than put on shoes or slippers, you just walk out barefoot and you happen to, to land full weight of your body on a stone right in your heel. Doesn't do much damage to the stone, does it? But oh, the pain in your heel. Ever been hiking on a mountain? You tripped on a, uh, a tree root or slipped on a, on a muddy bank and, and landed on a sharp rock, didn't do much damage to the rock, did it? But flesh gets torn, and sometimes even bone gets broken. Ever been riding your bicycle? Remember when you were a kid, or maybe not when you were a kid, and and you hit some gravel, and the tires slide out from under you, and you land on the gravel? Doesn't do much damage to the gravel, does it? But oh, the damage that is done to the flesh. When flesh meets stone, it is the flesh and the bone that gets bloody and broken 
The stone, other than maybe having a little blood on it, is none the worse for the encounter. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, No one can break any of the Ten Commandments. He can only break himself against them. And there is a depth of truth to that statement that we rarely give time to think about and understand. We may say that someone has broken the Eighth Commandment when they steal something from a store or from work or from a friend. But it is not really the Eighth Commandment that has been broken. The Eighth Commandment is still whole. It's still there. It's still none the worse for the encounter. But the person who steals is the one who in some way experiences a brokenness. A brokenness of mind, a brokenness of of conscience. We may say that we have broken the uh, Tenth Commandment when we covet the possessions of someone else. But the commandment isn't broken. It's still whole. It's not changed in any way. It is our own peace, our own contentment, our own inner wholeness that has been fractured by breaking that commandment. Not not the commandment itself. We may say that we have broken the seventh commandment when we commit adultery, but the commandment isn't broken. It is our lives, our relationships, our families, our friendships, our relationships with God that are fractured and splintered and shattered, not the commandment. I came across a story in the Washington Post last June when we were visiting with Suzette's sister and and brother-in-law who live right outside of Washington, D.C., on vacation, sitting one morning reading the newspaper and and read this article. And I have to give you that background because when I tell you this this story, you're going to think it's made up but it is from the June 29th edition of the Washington Post, I promise you. The article reads, One Virginia minister pleaded guilty yesterday to trying to lure a parishioner into a plot to kill each other's wives because he wanted his wife out of the way so that he could marry his lover. I do have a defense, but... It is not believable, James Elrod Ogle softly told the court, not indicating what that defense might be. A former math teacher, Ogle established the Bull Run Bible Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia in 1995. The church disbanded last year, in 1999, after the elders learned of discord in Ogle's marriage. In February, Ogle reportedly suggested to a parishioner who had come to him for marriage advice that if the parishioner would kill Ogle's wife, he would kill the parishioner's wife. Ogle told the police that he had been having an affair with a parishioner and wanted to marry her. But Ogle felt that he could not divorce her 
because the Bible says there is no justification for divorce. The only way he could be married again would be if his wife were dead. Police say they videotaped a lengthy meeting between Ogle and the parishioner at a McDonald's outside of Manassas. Ogle are seen sitting at a table with a Bible spread out between their burgers and fries, alternately discussing biblical translations and plans for Judy Ogle's murder. Police also said that Ogle told one of the elders of his church that the Bible supported his actions, making reference to 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, when you are tempted, God will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. He thought it was God's will that Judy be out of the way, a police detective said, and that he would not be responsible. Now, that's a pretty extreme example of the brokenness that enters our lives. It's also a pretty extreme example of stupidity, but but it highlights in a, in a magnified way the brokenness that enters our lives when we disobey our God. First of all, it, it brings a brokenness to our minds, our, our thinking. When, when we disobey God, we become so defensive that we try to rationalize what we are doing. And we will go to such great lengths to rationalize what we are doing that we no longer think straight. I've told you before, one of my first encounters with this was when a minister I knew in Pennsylvania was having an affair with the wife of the church treasurer, which in itself is pretty stupid because the treasurer signed his paychecks, He really did believe that if he got a divorce from his wife and this wife of the church treasurer got a divorce from her husband, they could remarry and the church would allow them to stay and him be their pastor. He really believed that. Brokenness in disobeying God's will affects our minds. We don't think straight anymore. It also breaks our relationships. If you look at every one of the Ten Commandments, the first that have to do with our relationship with God and the last that have to do with our relationship with each other, every single one has to do with relationships. And when we disobey any of them, whether it is is worshiping another God or whether it is not honoring our father and mother, The disobedience results in broken relationships. Either our relationship with God or our relationship with someone else. Disobedience also breaks our conscience. Guilt causes us to hate ourselves and to hurt others. It it affects every area of our lives. I know personally there have been times when I have felt guilty about something and out of my guilt and my defensiveness, I have attacked 
and said cruel things to people I loved. I would never have dreamed of saying in any other situation or in any other circumstance other than the fact that out of my guilt and, and defensiveness, I was going to put up a barrier that they couldn't get through. Guilt causes us to lose sleep. We don't sleep well, depression sets in, we become less productive at work, and that causes more relationship problems at work. It breaks our conscience. And sometimes, like our wonderful minister in the newspaper article, we end up in jail as well. Our whole lives shattered into a thousand pieces. We all know these things because we are all guilty of breaking God's law. We are all guilty of breaking ourselves against the the stone of God's law. This is the greatest act of pride to think we can break God's law. We can't break God's law. We can only break ourselves against God's law. And that is why Jesus Christ came into the world to make us whole again. To take all the the shattered pieces of our lives and carefully and lovingly put them back together again. To enter into our broken world and restore that world, to enter into our shattered relationships and and heal them and put them back together again, to restore us to a wholeness that we ourselves cannot restore within our own lives. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, says Paul. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Jesus is the rock that willingly allowed himself to be broken. That our broken lives might be put back together again. As the beautiful words of our closing hymn today say, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. In Jesus' brokenness upon the cross, our brokenness has found him. In Jesus' brokenness upon the cross, our broken relationship with God has been restored. In Jesus' brokenness upon the cross, the wreckage of our relationships with each other has found healing. In Jesus' brokenness upon the cross, 
Our shattered shalom, our peace and wholeness of mind and body and relationship and and will and spirit has been recovered. In Jesus' brokenness upon the cross, our splintered hopes for heaven have been restored, carefully and lovingly mended and made whole once again. Jesus' brokenness is what makes us whole and gives us holiness and hope. Paul uses the word atonement. As I've told you before, to understand the word atonement, take it apart. At one meant. Jesus' brokenness on the cross is what makes us one again, one with ourselves, one with each other, and most importantly, one with God. And that is why we gather around this table today. Because this table represents the brokenness of Jesus that puts our lives back together again. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Dr. Ken's Sermons and Studies. My prayer is that this message has touched you, challenged you, and nourished you in your spiritual journey. If so, please share Dr. Ken's Sermons and Studies with your friends, and I pray God's blessings on you today. 